Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning as we come together to worship our Lord. I trust this morning that you are preparing yourself for what some would feel is the most wonderful time of the year. As temperatures drop, you start to feel a bite in the air, and snowflakes flurry around, we know that a wondrous season isn't far off. That season where lawns are decorated with yard signs. That season where airwaves are filled with political ads. That season when folks gather for town halls and debates. Yes, isn't your heart just warmed as you think about campaign season? Now, at least in this particular moment, you may be feeling, Dave, you ruined it for me. I was all ready to bask in the joy of Christmas, and you had to bring up a time that so easily becomes discouraging, frustrating, and downright annoying. Can I ask you this morning, why can we have such a strong reaction to campaigning and all that comes with it? Well, there are certainly many reasons, but can I suggest to you that one of the key reasons we groan with campaigning is actually the same reason that we can truly rejoice in Christmas? That reason is promises. One of the reasons we can groan so much about candidates is that deep down inside, we know that they will never be able to keep all of the promises that they make while they try to woo you for your vote. There are so many important issues, and they, they talk so much about them that we know somewhere along the line they will moderate their position in order to appeal to a larger crowd. We also suspect that most of their plan to deal with problems will be forgotten within the first few months of being in office. Now, we hope that it won't. That's why we get behind candidates and even work to support their campaigns. But we know from experience that the system doesn't really work that way. Whether it's because they just aren't able or they just don't follow through, we know their promise won't really be kept. So we end up feeling the whole process is pointless and discouragement sets in. In the same way, we can end up feeling that way at Christmas time because we might just not be sure if God really can follow through on his promises to us. Now, if I asked you that this morning, can God follow through on his promises? I'm sure most likely you'd say, absolutely, because it's church. It's Christmas Eve. What else are you going to say, right? But in the quiet place of your heart and your mind, as you consider the chaos in the world, as you consider the loneliness in your own heart, as you consider the trouble in your family, if you're like me, you can have a sneaking suspicion that God won't be able to really work everything out for our good and His glory. But that's where Christmas becomes a tangible foundation for our confidence in God. It is a powerful starting place to remind us that God keeps his promises. 
We learn this not because it's some lofty answer that we're supposed to give. No, we see it in who Jesus is and how he came. For in both of those, we see that God has worked to keep more promises than you or I could ever even remember. We can see this clearly working out in the book of Matthew through the Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus. So this morning, I want to turn our attention to three simple reminders that give us confidence because of Christ. We find these reminders illustrated for us in the prophecies that Matthew highlights around Jesus' birth. Now, these aren't going to be new or earth-shattering, but when so much is going on around us and can distract and discourage us, we need to focus our hearts here at Christmas. Well, the first simple reminder that Matthew illustrates for us is this. God really can keep his promises. This reminder has to do with his ability. Is God really able to do what he promises, what he says? I generally try not to make promises to my kids. They'll come and they'll say something like, Daddy, will you promise that we can go to Chick-fil-A? You've had it happen to you, right? I, I'll try to respond with something like, well, I know you want to go, and I want to go. So we will plan on it, but I'm not going to promise. Because there are just too many things that I can't control. And I don't want to, them to put their trust in what I say, and then I don't fulfill it. I mean, what if the van breaks down? What if one of them gets sick? What if I forgot that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays? Okay, I know, you, you've done it. Okay, you pull in the parking lot, it's like, oh, it's Sunday, right? Do you know how many things can go wrong between now and dinner? If I make a promise, I want it to be within my ability to keep it. Do you know that in the Old Testament, God gave at least 300 prophecies, 300 promises relating to the Messiah. I have a hard time keeping one promise. God gave 300. Do you get a sense of how impossible this is, humanly speaking? We see this reflected in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, where it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, quote, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. End quote. Emmanuel is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, 
and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Of course, this is the Christmas story. Mary is found to be pregnant before she and Joseph were officially married. Now, we know that it was by the power of the Holy Spirit, but Joseph, others around, didn't know that. And so Joseph moves to divorce her quietly. Now, that shows us something about Joseph's heart and his character. Now, during this betrothal period, if one of the spouses was found to be unfaithful, Mosaic law would have treated that like committing adultery. And so it would have given the punishment of stoning. But Joseph chose mercy. I think that gives us an insight about why God chose this man to be the human father of the Son of God. Because God himself says, I, would, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So, as Joseph is wrestling with this, God sends an angel to inform him that the baby is from the Holy Spirit. This is not Mary being unfaithful. This is supernatural. And this son will be called Jesus, Savior, because he would save his people from their sins. Why? Why is all of this happening? To keep the promise of Isaiah 7, 14, which Matthew quotes here. This promise originally came to King Ahaz of Judah during a time of suffering in Judah. It was a promise that God would act on their behalf. It's the idea of God with us. It's not just the idea of, hey, God's in the room now. It's God is working on our behalf. He is helping us. He is rescuing us. And we see, as Matthew points out here, that the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy is in Jesus, who came to act on our behalf and free us from the sin that enslaves us and separates us from God. But have you ever considered God's activity in the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, to even get us to this point? When you, when you look at those verses, that genealogy isn't a complete genealogy, it's, it's representative. It's showing Jesus' rightful claim to King David's throne. But if, if you could fill out the entire genealogy, could you think of the thousands of years the thousands of ancestors, the innumerable details that God superintended over to make sure this promise was fulfilled. I can't keep track of the five details needed to get my family to Chick-fil-A. God keeps track of every detail in order to guarantee that Jesus, Emmanuel, comes to save us. As I was studying for the message, I came across an article by a woman. Her name's Anna Willis. She's a Messianic Jew, so she has put her trust in Christ as her Savior and as her Messiah. And um, she studied for seven years before she was totally convinced that Jesus is her Messiah. Uh, in an article that she wrote about the prophecies that Jesus fulfills, she notes this. Mathematically speaking... The odds of one person fulfilling only eight of these prophecies 
is one in 100 quadrillion. Now, you don't have to count. That was just, that's quadrillion. <laughs> one person fulfilling 48 prophecies has one chance in 10 to the 157th power. So take a 10 and put 157 zeros after it. And one person fulfilling 300 plus prophecies, only Jesus. Praise the Lord. <laughs> only Jesus. Only the one true living God who is all-powerful and all-knowing can do what it takes to guarantee the fulfillment of every one of his promises in Jesus. No one is going to surprise him. No one is going to derail his plan. No one, it's never going to be a day where God says, oh, that one, that one detail, I missed it, I forgot it. Never. We can have confidence in God's promises because in Christ, we are reminded that God really can keep his promises. But there's another simple reminder that Matthew illustrates for us. It's this, that God really does keep his promises. This reminder has to do with his reliability. Can you count on him to keep his promises? Just because someone has the ability to do something doesn't mean that you can trust them to actually follow through, right? Here again, Matthew shows us God faithfully following through on his promises about Jesus. We see this in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 6. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, quote, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. End quote. This is the wise men coming to search for the Messiah. Some two years after his birth, when he was born, they saw a star appear. And so they had traveled some 800 miles, probably about a 40 days journey, from the regions of Babylon and Persia. Have you ever wondered why were they even looking for a star in the first place? <laughs> now, we can't be 100% sure because they don't explain it. But remember where they were coming from. It was the same region that many Jews had been carried away to over the decades. This was also the region that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they had been carried away to, and they had served as rulers in the government there. And they were known as men who followed, who served the living God. So there would have most likely been access to copies of the Old Testament books. There certainly would have been the influence of Daniel and others like him. And so these wise men may have been familiar with Balaam's prophecy about the Davidic line in Numbers 24, 17, 
where it says, A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So here they are, they're studying the stars, and one night, there's a new one over there. Where in the world? What, what writings are there about a star appearing? They may have been familiar with this. And so they travel to Israel. Here in Matthew 2, as they now try to determine the specific location of this newborn king, where do the chief priests and scribes look to? One of God's promises, Micah 5.2. And did you notice they trusted what God said? Said it's Bethlehem. They were certain. And so the scribes, the religious leaders, the wise men, Herod himself, believed this. You see, as the, as the wise men now try to go look for this new king, the star begins to do something new and different. It guides them to where the Messiah is. Okay, this gives us an indication this was something supernatural going on here. Don't know about you, but supernovas out in space do not give you street-level GPS. Okay? It was, I don't know if it was a beam or what, but they knew. And when they went up to that door, what did they find? Jesus in Bethlehem. God really did keep his promise. And of course, when the wise men didn't return to Herod, where did Herod send his assassins? To Bethlehem and the surrounding region. Now, he wasn't acting in faith, but he did believe that this new king was there, and so he acted to protect his own power. God really does keep his promises. But we see this also continuing to be illustrated as you go on in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. It says, Now when they, that's the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose... He took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, quote, Out of Egypt I called my son. End quote. Now an angel appears to Joseph to warn him of Herod's murderous intention. Do you see? God is sovereignly working in the details protecting Jesus. And he sends them to a specific place, Egypt. Why? To keep the promise of Hosea 11.1. 1. And what's so encouraging about this is that it shows us that God really does keep his promises even when we fail to follow him. Israel's exodus from Egypt was a key defining moment for them as a nation. This is kind of what galvanized them as a nation. God had rescued them from Egypt, and so they were to serve as a nation who would represent him to the rest of the world. Well, they failed. All you have to do is go to verse 2. What does it say? They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to carved images. 
They were not faithful in following their God who had called them out of Egypt. But now, Jesus fulfills the promise that the son who would follow him faithfully would be called out of Egypt. Jesus did what Israel failed at. And folks, that's encouraging to us because it shows us that because of Jesus, the failures in your life do not define God's promises to you. You might look at your life and you might feel like God would never forgive the choices that you've made. Can I encourage you this morning? That's not true because of Jesus. Forgiveness with God is not based on our performance. It is based on Jesus' obedience to God the Father and his death and resurrection for you and I. Where we fail, he's faithful. Where Israel failed, he was faithful. God keeps his promises even when we fail to follow him. But Matthew continues to illustrate this for us in chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, quote, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. End quote. Of course, the wise men do not return to Herod, so he sends out killers to Bethlehem and the surrounding region. Can we just say, this was pure evil? But it fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah 31, 15. God knew that this would happen. For Jeremiah, the immediate view was the Jewish women mourning their children who had been carried into exile. So it was like a whole generation had been removed from the nation. And so what hope was there in the future? It was like the nation was dead. But it also looked forward to a greater fulfillment when another, Herod, would seek to wipe out God's chosen one. Now, it's important for us to note here that this prophecy is not that God would make this happen. It's showing that he knew it would happen. It shows us that God knows the evil plans of men. He's not surprised by them. And it shows us that he gives men a choice. He didn't force Herod to do this. Herod chose to commit this atrocity. Remember, Herod knew what the wise men had said. They came. They told him about the star. They may have discussed more of what they had studied and knew and, and learned. Herod knew that. I can guarantee you that when Herod was put in power, no star appeared in the sky. He knew this was supernatural. He could have chosen to truly trust what the scriptures said and submit himself to this new king. But he didn't. Even when men choose evil, 
they cannot stop God's plan. Because God really does keep his promises even in the face of evil. Doesn't that concern you at times, though? Look around our world. War in Israel. War in Ukraine. Genocides in Africa. Political abuse and social tensions here in the U.S. You can really start to feel like the good guys aren't doing so great. You can feel like, God, where are you? What are you doing? And so we can start to live in fear rather than with trust in God. And that fear will cause us to close in on ourselves and protect what we have rather than reach out as ambassadors for Christ. But the prophecies fulfilled in Christ show us that God keeps his promises even when people choose evil. And the reality that God faithfully keeps his promises is exemplified all throughout the book of Matthew as you follow Jesus' life and ministry. This is something that when you compare it to the other gospels, Matthew over and over again comes back to and he says, this happened to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Or this, all of these things as a summary, fulfilled the scriptures. What he's helping us see is that God consistently acts this way. It's not just because it's Christmas time that God keeps his promises. Matthew helps us see that our confidence is in the God who keeps his promises. This is who he is. A quick survey of, of all of those. I kind of went through Matthew and I kind of tried to find them all. Um, I put it together on a handout. That's what's on the two black tables, uh, those high top tables back there. I found 21 times of this. And I'm just going to throw a few of them up on the screen where you can see we're not going to spend really any time with them. 21, where it was either a direct fulfillment or it was the fulfillment of multiple. God really does keep his promises. And I will just, as a disclaimer, I may have missed something. This was just me going through. So if you're reading through and like, he didn't put that on the list, add it, please. Now I hope that as you consider that, you are a little blown, blown away by the fact that our God keeps his promises. And they're not nebulous, fuzzy truths. They are specific commitments that he makes and follows through on. Again, 300 plus that Jesus as Messiah fulfills. Talk about someone you can really put your trust in. Someone who has the ability and reliability to keep his promises. And we can find that in no one else than Jesus Christ. Let's illustrate this in a little fun way. I need a kid and an adult. All right, right back there. Yep, come on up. And I need an adult. And you have to like chocolate. Hey, Chris, come on up. Yeah, I like that. Just boom, right there. Come on up here, guys. I'm going to try to get you as mostly visible. All right. Remind me of your name? Davis. Davis. Chris, I know. I can't forget him. No. Come on over. Come on over. I want this side to be able to see as much as they can. So, guys, I'm going to make you promise. If you uh, promise, or I'm sorry, if you will... Um, Stand on one foot and cluck like a chicken. 
I promise to give you a chocolate bar. All right. Thank you. Davis, thank you, sir. Chris, thank you for your help. That's the point. I have the ability, but will I really follow through? Thank you, guys. You can go sit down. Okay. You have to have both. And that's what we have in God, through Christ. Because that's the third simple reminder. It's that God really will keep his promises to us. This reminder has to do with our personal confidence in him. Will he really keep his promises to me? Again, I trust that you are seeing a fresh glimpse that the one true living God is a promise-keeping God. Now, keep in mind, he keeps his promises, not the ones that I make up, <laughs> the ones that he makes. His promises seek to draw us into relationship with him and grow us in that relationship. And because of that, that means at times he will keep his promises in a way that I don't like. At times that means he will leave pain, suffering, uncertainty in my life because, God, I want you to take it away. He says, no, I, I want to draw you closer to me through that. And folks, I could tell you, even in our own church, testimony after testimony of people who have faced extreme pain, health issues, uh, family issues, where they faithfully continue to hold on to God, they follow after him, and they serve as a testimony showing how suffering helps us grow. And you know, we see that even in Jesus. Because Jesus lived trusting in those promises, just like we do. He trusted the prophecies about himself, even when that clearly meant his suffering and death. He knew the prophecies. He could have said, whoa, hey, I'm God. Nope, I'm not going through that. The garden, the cross, mm -mm. He knew that. But he chose the suffering because he knows that there's in suffering, we, we are drawn close to God. We learn. He, of course, was accomplishing our salvation. But there, there are things that happen through suffering that we can experience no other way. We can trust God's promises even as we face suffering. We can trust God's promises about the future and that he will bring true justice. He will judge the evil and wrong in our world there's three other times that I don't have it on the list that, that I uh, set out there. Three other times in Matthew where Jesus talks about the future, where he reaches back to Old Testament prophecy, and then he talks about future things that we would understand more from 2 Thessalonians and Revelation, where God will deal with the evil in our world. And all of this helps us to see that we can trust God's promises to us in our relationship with him right now. That's shown to us in 2 Corinthians 1, 19 through 22, where it says, for the Son of God, this is the Apostle Paul writing, it says, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, 
was not yes and no. So it's, it's not vacillating. It's not uncertain. It says, but in him, in Christ, was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Folks, Christ is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Our relationship with God is established in Christ. What does he say? He has, he establishes us with you in Christ. He's anointed us. He has sealed us and he has given us the spirit as our guarantee. Our confidence in God's promises is because of Christ. That's why in him all God's promises are yes. Our confidence in multiple promises. For example, John 5, 24. Whoever hears and believes has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. You know why we can have assurance and confidence in our relationship with God? Because of Christ. He has done this for us. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Christ says, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. So go, make disciples, and I will be with you. As we do this, as we seek to faithfully follow God, be witnesses, even when it's not popular in our culture or our country. He says, I have the authority. Follow me. Romans 8, 35 to 39, nothing separates us from his love. Yeah, but Dave, what about when, when my, everything's just falling apart around me? You know, if you look at Romans 8 there, that's the purpose of that psalm. Everything was falling apart in Israel. They had no idea why. But you know what God says? He says, he has made us more than conquerors through him who loved us. How in the world do you be more than a conqueror? Conquerors are the winners, right? Wouldn't you want to be the conqueror? It's because even when everything's falling apart, you have been given right relationship with God, and nothing can take that away. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. The dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That's hope of resurrection. Those who have passed on before us, who've put their trust in Christ, will be resurrected. But it's also hope of reunion. Because those who are still alive and you've put your trust in Christ will be caught up. We'll catch up. They get a head start, but we're going to catch up. And there will be reunion with them and our Savior. And that's just to name a few. So as we come to Christmas, let me encourage you to reflect on who is making you promises. Not promises made by a politician or a person. But they do, because they don't have the ability to truly keep them, and often they just don't follow through. Instead, focus yourself on the God who gives and keeps promises. We see his character and ability in the promises that he made regarding the Messiah and that he fulfills in Jesus Christ. He kept them over thousands of years before Jesus' birth. He kept them during Jesus' life on earth, and he will see that they are all completely fulfilled one day when Jesus rules and reigns. 
And our God has the same character and ability when it comes to the promises we cling to in our Christian lives. Our confidence can truly rest in Him because we see that He fulfills them all through Christ. So let me challenge you with this one thought this morning. This Christmas, don't rest in promises. Rest in the promise-keeping God who keeps His promises through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You are a promise-keeping God. Thank You that because of Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven. It's not about our performance. It's about us trusting, turning to Him from what we're trying and putting our trust in Him. Thank you that that gives us assured relationship with you. And Father, thank you that even as we follow you in our Christian lives, that it's because of Christ that we can have confidence in the promises that you give. Father, you have kept myriads of promises over the years. And thank you that you will continue to do that for us and that we can trust in you. And thank you for Christmas that shows us so clearly you keep your promises. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.